This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, afternoon or evening, depending where you might be. Good to see you, old friends and new. I uh, recently offered a zazen and study retreat on an essay of Dogen Zenji, our 13th century founder, an essay called Within a Dream, Expressing the Dream. And so since this is on my mind still these days, I thought I could share with you a kind of summary of uh, these teachings of Dogen and the Buddhas and Zen ancestors on the dreamlike nature of all experience and how we can express this dream within the dream. All of us uh, have dreams when we're asleep. So we all know what that's like. Some of us don't remember so many of them, like myself. Some remember very vividly all their dreams. And yet everybody uh, knows what that's like to have both unpleasant, sometimes horrific dreams and sometimes pleasant dreams and sometimes very bizarre dreams. And uh, I think this fact that all of us know this very ordinary experience of dreaming while we're asleep makes it an especially great analogy or metaphor for the Buddha's teaching that all things all events, all experiences are like a dream in various ways. Seems that the Buddha first started talking about this dream analogy in the Pradnya Paramita Sutras. the perfection of wisdom scriptures, of which there are hundreds of thousands of verses and teachings on uh, the emptiness of all things. And uh, this Buddha uses metaphors and analogies often in his teaching. And 
this uh, dream analogy is very prominent in these Perfection of Wisdom Sutras. Over and over again, looking through them, uh, we find uh, the Buddha saying that all appearances, all experiences are like a dream. For instance, in the uh, large Prajnaparamita Sutra and in its Chinese translation, the Buddha says, all things and all events are uncreated. They don't really come to be. However, they do appear to exist. They appear to be created like a person expressing a dream within a dream. This may be the origin of Dogen Zenji's essay called Within a Dream, Expressing a Dream. The Buddha used this phrase in the sutras. Not only does the Buddha live in a kind of dreamlike world with us, um, but the Buddha can talk about the dream within the dream, express something about dreaming while dreaming. And uh, I think one of the great benefits of this particular analogy for how things are is that in a dream, an ordinary sleeping dream, not only do the things appearing before us uh, appear to be uh, solid and substantial and real and separate from ourself, but also the subject in the dream uh, appears to be a real person having the dream. This is something we often don't notice in dreams because we're so used to, in our waking life, uh, perceiving the world as a subject, as an experiencer with a particular location, looking out at a world of, uh, of objects and sights and sounds and uh, different types of experiences. Because it's like that in a waking life, we maybe don't notice that when we're dreaming, there's also a, not only an objective world of things, but there's a subject, isn't there? Like an observer, an experiencer in a dream. This is, this is a wonderful thing to notice. It's not like a, it's not like a dream is just um, happening uh, you know, in some unlocated uh, space, it's, it's as if we are an observer in the dream, sometimes kind of a passive observer. I mean, I know that I sometimes have dreams where I'm just kind of like a bystander witnessing various events as if I'm not participating really in the dream. I don't know if you have that experience. And sometimes, maybe more often, I'm like an active participant in the dream. 
um, walking around and I'm relating to people in the dream as if uh, I'm a kind of subject relating to those um, objective people separate from me. Isn't it like that in our dreams? I think it's, it's worth reflecting on that uh, not only does the world appear to be kind of over there in a dream and you know, three-dimensionally, vividly uh, existing in the way that it appears in the dream, not only is that true, but the sense of subjectivity, the observer, myself, also seems to appear within the dream as, you know, in a particular location and within a body that can move around and walk around and talk and see and hear in the dream. If we stop and reflect on this a moment, uh, I think it's quite amazing that this is possible in our ordinary dreams because um, while we're asleep, our senses, our five senses are all kind of shut down for the night, right? Where our eyes are closed, our ears are not really hearing the sounds around us and, uh, and smells and tastes and tactile sensations and uh, so on are not, um, are not functioning as they do or as they appear to in waking life. And yet in the dream, we're usually completely convinced that uh, we are seeing colors and hearing sounds apart from us, the observer. But the miracle is that all of this, this entire play of observer and observed, subject and object, person and world, that whole appearance that's so convincing in the dream is completely created by mind, is it not? There is no um, room, dream room that's appearing uh, as it is in the dream in made of actual physical stuff, external to mind. And not only is there no world like that, there's no um, observer walking around in the room relating to the dream room in the dream. Both the subject and the object are, uh, are manifestations of one mind, one mind dividing itself into the sense strong sense that we just take for granted of being the observer and a strong sense of an observed world. I think this is amazing. I mean, it's completely ordinary. We all have such dreams and yet amazing that the, that the mind is so powerful that it can create uh, an objective three-dimensional colorful auditory world and a sense of an observer walking through that world and create the sense of a kind of division or separation between the observer and the observed, between the dreamer and the dreamed world. The mind creates all of that very easily, effortlessly for all of us in a dream. 
So it's, it creates this illusion, not only an illusion of, a, of an external um, material world, but creates the illusion of a um, kind of internal subjective uh, located particular dreamer that can walk through the dream world. And it creates the sense of separation or division between the observer and the observed. All that the mind naturally concocts, conjures up uh, effortlessly and naturally in a sleeping dream. And then we wake up from the dream and uh, sometimes we're amazed and relieved that oh, it was just a dream. Uh, in, maybe in that dream, it was a nightmare and I, uh, uh, I was being chased by a dream dragon. And I was terrified. I, the dream observer was terrified of the dream dragon. And uh, upon waking, sometimes there's a little transition, right? If it's a really intense and vivid nightmare or any kind of dream, it takes a little, a little time to kind of like warm up to the fact that it was a dream. We're in our bed now, awake, and uh, maybe our heart's racing from that dream, but we feel, oh, wait a second, actually it's okay. Depending how normal the dream is, sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes I have, I have dreams like being late for events, and, but kind of normal, like I'm at an airport, like running to catch a plane or something. And I wake up and I'm, like, I'm awake, but I still feel like I still have to catch that plane. And then it takes me a little while. Like, no, no, actually it's okay, I don't. And then we see that the whole scene, the airport, the plane, the person, me, running for the plane, and the thought of I have to catch it, and the physical kind of, you know, tension in the dream, and the worry in the dream, the emotions in the dream, all of it is completely just a, a dream. It's a, it's a conjured up out of this one mind expressing itself as a subject relating to an object. And based on that split of subject and object, there's some issues, there's some problems, there's worry and concern and fear, or sometimes a great dream. Something wonderful and blissful is happening, we'll wake up and we're maybe a little disappointed that it ended. Uh, in any case, we, we see that the whole scenario was uh, just the mind's creation. And I just want to emphasize again um, this point that I think is worth reflecting on that not only is the objective world in the dream just a mental creation, but the subject, dreamer, is a mental creation. So it's a, it's a normal experience we all have when we're asleep. And now the Buddha in these Perfection of Wisdom Sutras keeps bringing it up as a kind of analogy and saying, it seems to be that he's saying that um, our waking life is like this also. 
of course, our waking life is slightly different in various ways than a, than a dream, a sleeping dream. But uh, I think the Buddha is pointing out that it's maybe not as different as we think it is. And why the Buddha emphasizes dreamlike nature of our waking life, apart from the fact that it's kind of an interesting, different perspective. The Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas are always trying to help relieve the discontent of sentient beings, particularly humans like us. So they're looking for all these skillful ways to, uh, to uh, help point out how we, we create our own discontent um, needlessly. That's the basic gist of Buddha Dharma. How could this dream analogy help relieve uh, our discontent? Sometimes we, we talk about, well, if, if, if things are not as substantial and real and external to ourselves as they appear to be, then we won't grasp at them as strongly. They're still appearing, just like uh, in a dream, things can still uh, appear uh, without being the actually the way that they appear to be. And this kind of loosens up our grip on things a little bit. We just, if we open to the dreamlike nature of appearances of sights and sounds and, and the world external to ourself, um, it, might, uh, it might loosen our kind of um, strong grasping for some part of the world that we don't have. And it might loosen our strong aversion to some part of the world that we do have what we want to get rid of. So I think that's a valid explanation that, that um, if the world that's appearing is not quite as substantial, fixed and separate as it appears to be, then uh, we can relax and play with it a little bit more freely. This is true. But also, just as I'm emphasizing this sense of subjectivity in the dream, the me that appears in the dream. If that's just an illusion, then maybe the sense of subjectivity in waking life is also not quite as fixed and substantial and separate as it feels and seems. The sense of, of me being kind of located in this body, behind these eyes that are seeing the world, behind these ears that are hearing the world, there's as if there's some me uh, located there. If we loosen up our kind of grip on that located subjectivity, that me-ness that's somehow connected with this body or even this head, uh, that also may be even more than loosening our grip on the external world, that loosening our grip on the subject of experience as a kind of real entity uh, uh, frees us from even more discontent. 
the Buddhas say that we, we naturally, um, inevitably, effortlessly feel ourselves to be this body and these thoughts and this located experiencer. We identify with this subject, this experiencer as ourself in relation to an experienced world. And this uh, being an experiencer over here to an experienced world over there, the Buddhists say, this is, this is the source of our discontent. They talk about uh, the source of discontent in different ways at different times because there's many teachings, but this is one version of the, a subtle version, I would say, of, of the source of discontent, that sense of um, duality, of separation into subject and object. And sometimes we hear that the world might not be as substantial and solid and as external as it, as it seems, and we work with the, the uh, investigating the world of appearances, but maybe even more important to investigate the subject, the sense of the experiencer. And uh, we feel that it's so, it's so real and it's so um, located and it's so um, who I am. I am the one over here. I'm not, I'm not you all on the screen over there, right? We feel that so strongly and deeply, we're kind of wired to think such a way and to feel such a way. So much so that even when we're dreaming, we think and feel such a way, we take it for granted. But then how, how wonderful that when we look at the dream upon awakening, we see that that subject in the dream um, did not exist in the way that it appeared to that me that was running from the dream dragon and terrified of uh, being swallowed alive by that dream dragon, uh, that one, uh, upon awakening from the dream, you see, was an illusion created by mind. And what a relief to wake up from the dream. And, uh, Interestingly, we might wake up from the dream and be relieved that the dragon's not there. But again, we could look closer and see that, is it really that we're relieved because the dragon's not there? Or is it that we're relieved because the sense of me, the one the dragon's chasing, is not there the way it appeared to be just a minute ago in the dream? And could it be that uh, our waking life is similar to a dream like this, that, that the mind has this power, and we know it has the power, because we all experience its incredible um, power of creating three-dimensional world in the dream, and the power of creating the subject in the dream, and the power of creating duality, the illusion of a separation of subject and object in the dream. That's a powerful mind, creates a con 
completely convincing sense of a separate subject and object, whereas it's one mind manifesting as the appearance of a separate subject and object. It's one mind expressing itself as a separate subject and object. It's one mind taking form as the feeling and sensation and experience of separate subject and object in a dream. So Buddha means the awakened one. We often talk about awakening as that the Buddha discovered. So that's, that's a nice um, metaphor, like awakening from sleep or dream. But uh, today, I'd like to explore more of this possibility of uh, not actually awakening from the dream, but remaining in the dream, but becoming lucid in the dream. You may have heard of lucid dreaming, which simply means that uh, while you're dreaming at night, you, uh, you suddenly remember or you, know, you notice that you're dreaming. You somehow recognize the fact that you're dreaming while you're dreaming and you don't wake up. You continue to dream. It's lucid dreaming. And uh, I've seen some studies say that most people sometimes, at least once in their lifetime, will have a, you know, at least one lucid dream, just naturally. And uh, it seems that some people are just naturals. They, they, they have a lot of lucid dreams naturally. And also studies say that kids, younger kids, are often more lucid in their dreams. And as they grow older, they lose this ability kind of makes sense to me that it's it's a um, kids can live in a kind of imaginary world much more freely and maybe as we get older we have to we're told to like in various ways we're trained and and uh, we're trained to treat things more solidly and more real than we did as a child Maybe that's part of the reason we lose this lucid dreaming ability. Uh, but so some people just naturally have lucid dreams once in a great while or sometimes regularly. And there's also practices to cultivate lucid dreaming. There's a whole world of um, lucid dreaming practitioners, a whole community of uh, uh, lucid dreamers that using it as a as an entertainment, as a practice, as a um, as a kind of therapy, all kinds of ways. I mean, if you start exploring the internet, there's many, many. There's all kinds of apps for your phone that are to like are kind of have tools and methods to help you develop lucid dreaming. And then uh, on top of that, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's the practice of dream yoga, which is basically lucid dreaming, cultivating and practicing the ability to, um, to dream lucidly. And then to not just use that as kind of entertainment and fun, but to actually 
um, start developing dharma practice while you're asleep in your dreams, which is a nice possibility because we're like asleep like a third of our lives. Right? If we live to be 90, we've, we've been asleep for 30 years. That's no, no small uh, amount of time. So if we uh, could, could use that time as a kind of Zen practice time, uh, how wonderful. Not so easy, I think, but, but there is this possibility and there's a whole community of dream yoga practitioners. Once you become a little bit more proficient at um, entering lucidity in dreams, then you can um, start to kind of like test the edges of uh, beliefs and fears and so on in the dream state that actually um, kind of carries over into the waking state. That's, that's like a very shorthand version of dream yoga as a, as a Buddhist practice. Of course, Zen, we don't talk about this so much. We, we just, uh, we do talk about uh, the dream-like nature of all experience while sleeping and awake. But uh, I bring up this, this issue of lucid dreaming because uh, I see it that the bodhisattvas, let's put aside the fully awakened Buddhas who might actually awaken from the dream and no longer experience a world at all. I think the bodhisattvas, that's the path I'm devoted to at this time. They um, kind of like vow to remain in the dream because that's where there's all these discontent beings appearing, but they also vowed to become lucid in the dream. I would even say that that's one version of the Bodhisattva vow when we're talking about dreams. Is it's a kind of two-pointed two vow. One is to um, stay in the dream in order to benefit others in the dream land that we humans and other sentient beings live in, uh, but also to become lucid in the dream. In other words, to recognize it as a dream also. So both of those. And some would emphasize more the importance of becoming lucid in the dream, and some would emphasize more the importance of just doesn't matter if we're that lucid as long as we're staying in this world and benefiting beings there. Really, they're both important for the bodhisattva path. And one could even say that the reason why the bodhisattvas vow to become lucid in the dream of their life, to recognize it as a dream, is so that they can be more effective benefiting dream beings. For example, in a kind of extreme version of the dream dragon chasing us uh, in a sleeping dream. If we're not lucid, we're just gonna be totally terrified and, um, and just try to get away. And our sense of the of separate self is gonna be more and more solidified and contracted as we look for any escape route to protect me. If we were to become lucid in such a dream, maybe that's, maybe that's a, especially challenging one to, to start with, but 
just to make the point, if we were to become lucid in that dream, in other words, this dragon is actually a dream dragon. And I, the one running from it in a dream, runner, escapee, if the whole thing is a dream, maybe without waking up from it, I can start to become even a little bit more kind of like playful and maybe stop running for a second and, and turn around and look at the dragon and say, may I help you? Yes, may I help you? I would love to be able to um, face dragons in such a way, whatever our particular dragons are chasing us. And it might not be in a lucid dream that the dragon just disappears. The dragon that's actually uh, in a sleeping dream, our own mind's creation, may still um, continue to talk to us. That's what the world of lucid dreaming is like while asleep. You stay in the dream means the mind keeps conjuring up all this um, world of dragons and so on. But the, uh, and even the relationship of like, there's me over here talking to the dragon over there, but I know it's all just one mind manifesting that way in a lucid dream. And now I can, can have a conversation, one part of the mind with another in a kind of skillful way. Maybe in waking life, it could be a little bit like this. Now, uh, it's good to remember here that in waking life, uh, we're not saying that all of you are just my mind, are just Kokyo's mind. In a way, the version of you that I'm experiencing, I, I would understand, is my mind's version of you. And yet, the Buddhas teach that there are many, many different minds that are interactive, they're dependently arising, they're interdependent uh, minds that are all creating their um, own dreams. And the dreams are miraculously, amazingly overlapping and affecting each other. Even the, uh, in some Buddhist traditions, they say even the, the you know, material world that we share, we can, we can look at, we can both look at a tree and say that's a tree. Some Buddhist teachings go so far as to say, there really isn't a, uh, any material tree there at all, but because our minds are very similar in projecting worlds, we're, we're seeing a very similar projection, a similar mental projection, but there's nothing behind it. There's no physical stuff there. It's just many, many different minds with their own unique patterns, all interacting. Whereas in an actual sleeping uh, dream, it's really, for the most part, just uh, our own mind is creating all this stuff. So that's a little difference between the waking dream and the sleeping dream. If anyone's ever seen the, the movie Inception, that's where they start to play with. In the dream world, um, within lucid dreams, there can be different, uh, different minds interaction, interacting. And maybe 
there's, some people might say maybe this is possible in actual sleeping dreams that different uh, people might be dreaming something very similar. But uh, it's, I don't think we want to get go far, too far that direction now. But just to reflect on um, the power of the mind in a sleeping dream to um, create the sense of duality into subject and object and, uh, and the possibility of lucid dreaming. Like you can know that you're dreaming and can, the mind can continue to create this illusion of a subject and an object in the dream. That's like proof that it's possible for all of us uh, to, um, you know, to know what that's like while we're asleep. So uh, it's not saying that that's exactly how it is when awake, but it's proof that the mind can, can uh, create such a convincing reality. And so maybe in a waking life, it could be quite similar. I think that's why the Buddhas in these perfection of wisdom sutras keep bringing up uh, that all things are like, in a, like a dream, like an illusion. It doesn't mean that things um, you know, don't exist at all, or have no reality at all. It just means that they don't exist the way they appear to. Their reality is not the way that they appear as separate from ourselves, for example. So uh, all that is um, yeah, some background on Prajaparamita dreaming. Then uh, in Zen, we have some stories about this too, like um, one of the Chinese Zen ancestors, Yang Shan. One time he dreamed while asleep, I think this means, but it doesn't specify exactly, but he had this dream that he went up to Maitreya, the future Buddha's um, celestial palace, and, uh, and was sitting in like the second seat next to Maitreya. And uh, one of the uh, practitioners in Maitreya Buddha's assembly um, struck the mallet and said, uh, today it's, it's, uh, it's the turn for the one in the second seat to teach the Dharma. And so Yangshan in his dream without missing a beat said something like, um, the great vehicle, the Mahayana is beyond all ideas of existence and non-existence and so forth. So that's a, uh, that's a Zen koan. And in the, uh, in the gateless barrier, a collection of koans, the, um, the compiler wrote a verse about this story saying, in broad daylight, under the blue sky, he expresses a dream within a dream. How totally absurd he deceived the entire assembly. This is the verse story. So it's saying that Yangshan, dreaming he was up in Maitreya's celestial heaven, taught the Dharma. And when he was asked to teach the Dharma in, in his dream, he said that uh, 
in the uh, in the great vehicle. This Mahayana is totally free from all ideas of true existence and non-existence. So he expressed how the dream is within the dream. You could say, free of a dream is free of truly existing dragons, right? but it's also free of totally non-existent dragons. The dragon does appear in the dream. It's not that there's nothing at all. It's a dream appearance. So it's kind of free from the two extremes of total non-existence because it appears and free from the extreme of truly existing because it's just the mind's uh, manifestation. So Yangshan, this great practitioner was when he was dreaming and he was asked to express something, he kind of expressed something about how dreams are while he was dreaming. And uh, later, Another Zen story is that Yang Shan's teacher, Gui Shan, was taking a nap one time and Yang Shan uh, walked in. Yang Shan, remember, who was able to express the dream within the dream of Maitreya's palace. On another occasion, he walked in and he found his teacher um, taking a nap and he was about to leave and his teacher sat up and, um, and uh, said, uh, wait a minute before you go, listen to this old monk's dream. Listen to my dream for a minute. And, uh, and uh, his student Yangshan stood there in attention, ready to hear his dream. And uh, Guishan, the teacher said, please interpret my dream for me. And, uh, Yangshan went in the other room and brought a bowl of water and a towel and handed them to his teacher. And his teacher, who had just arisen from his nap, washed his face and dried it like that. And uh, then another student, Xiang Yan, came into the room. And uh, the teacher, Guishan, said, Yangshan and I have been. Um, sharing miraculous activity. I asked him to like interpret my dream and he did it so well. And, uh, and uh, the one who just walked in, Xiang Yan said, I know, I know you were, I was, I was listening from the other room. And, uh, and the teacher Guishan said, well, now you try it, interpreting my dream. And, uh, Xiangyan went in the other room and made a bowl of tea and brought it back and offered it to his teacher. And the teacher said, you two disciples are like Shariputra and Yayayana, the greatest disciples of Shakyamuni Buddha. You are amazing, you two. That's another Zen story about expressing a dream within a dream very, very ordinary. Interpret my dream is just these ordinary activities being played out. It's playing with, he was sleeping and having some dream, but actually now he's awake. And uh, will you interpret the dream that's happening right now? And interpret in Zen maybe means like actually enact it. 
enact the dream. Bring the teacher some water and a towel. Bring the teacher a bowl of tea. What a perfect enactment of the dream they all share. They're sharing miraculous activity of sharing a lucid dream. And um, Dogen, we don't have much more time really, but this was all a warm up to Dogen's essay called Within the Dream of Expressing the Dream. So we'll add a couple of lines to Dogen. He says, um, you know, this is like pages of, of Dogen essay that you can read on your own called Within a Dream, Expressing the Dream. Dogen says, the place where the dream is expressed within a dream is the land of Buddhas and ancestors, is the assembly of Buddhas and ancestors. This Buddha land, this Zen Buddha land is the land where, uh, where people express something about a dream within the dream. In other words, these bodhisattvas and Zen ancestors are lucid dreamers. They have some sense that they're actually dreaming, but they're able to express something within the dream, even something about the dream within the dream to kind of help others become lucid within their dream. One could say that's the bodhisattva vow. The place where the dream is expressed within a dream is the land of Buddhas and Zen ancestors. It's the, it's the assembly of Buddhas and Zen ancestors. And Dogen says, every dewdrop manifested in every realm is a dream. And this dream is the bright, bright tips of the hundred grasses. Is it Zen saying the bright, bright tips of the hundred grasses is like each particular manifestation is worthy of attention. It's not like, well, it's all the dream. So like, it's all just a murky, hazy kind of dream and like whatever. It's not like that. This, this uh, dream of the Buddhas and Zen ancestors is a very vivid, and very lucid dream. So the tip of every grass tip, the hundred grasses is Zen for like all appearances, all things in the world. And the radiant glowing tips of the grasses. This dream is the bright, bright tips of each of the hundred grasses. I think he's expressing within this dream, we're paying attention to every detail and particularity. Dogen says, an ancient Buddha said, now I express the dream within a dream for you. All Buddhas in the past, present, and future, and all the Zen ancestors are within a dream expressing the dream. So an ancient practitioner said that not only all the, the bodhisattvas and Zen ancestors, but even the Buddhas are within a dream. They haven't really awoken. 
they're within a dream, expressing a dream. Because if they woke up from this dream, they might not be able to relate to the other dream beings because there wouldn't be any. I mean, in a sleeping dream, when we wake up from the dream, the dream is gone, gone completely, like evaporates. So the Buddhas um, don't want to enter such a gone realm as like that kind of waking up from the dream. There are various stories how even waking up in such a way, they might be able to benefit dream beings. But I think for most of us, at least for myself, I can relate more to like staying in this dream, continuing in this, in this painful and joyful dream and uh, with all the other dreamers, but really uh, trying to find ways to remind myself that it's a dream. In the lucid dreaming community, that's basically the practices to become lucid in the dream are while you're awake, you're, you're cultivating various practices that will help you to question the validity of a dream while you're dreaming. I think the basic one that could apply to our conversation now is all day long, if you're really into like cultivating this lucid dreaming, you know, every hour stop and ask, am I dreaming? And really not just in a rote way, but but like look around the room and uh, question, am I dreaming? And maybe check something to see if you might be dreaming. Let's say like one I like to do regularly is try to push your fingers through your palm in waking life. Because in a dream, if you were to say, I wonder if I'm dreaming now, and you do that, your fingers usually go right through your palm. So if you get used to this check while you're awake and when you're asleep, you made it a habit and something's a little funny in the dream, stop and check. And then that's, that's how you enter lucidity in the dream. We have to become questioners while we're awake. We have to start questioning our status quo perception. We're not just talking about projected thoughts and um, grosser delusions of like, that's, I don't like that person because they're not nice. Yes, we work on that stuff too, but here we're questioning our sensory perception. In the Mahayana, uh, the Buddhas are saying, our sensory perception, just direct perception of colors and sounds is faulty, is illusory. So we question it in waking life. Maybe we can question it while we're dreaming. And, uh, so the Dogen says, there is no liberation other than expression of the dream within a dream. This dream is the entire earth. The entire earth is balanced. And then this whole process of practice of um, earth aspiring to become lucid in the dream, practicing lucid dreaming, while we're awake and realizing this dream as a dream and so on are all happening in a dream. So this kind of gradual progression of a lifetime of practice is all happening in one dream. So Dogen says it as a Shakyamuni Buddha and all the Buddhas and Zen ancestors, each arouse the aspiration 
to practice for all beings. They cultivate practice and they realize complete, perfect awakening within a dream. This being so, the Buddha's way of transforming this painful world throughout his lifetime is indeed created in a dream. Dogen says, all the Buddhist skillful methods are created in a dream to help beings in every possible way relieve all possible suffering, but particularly the Buddhas are trying to help people become lucid in their dream and vow not to completely wake up from this dream, but to uh, stay in the dream world that we share with all these other dreamers, these overlapping interdependent dreams and find skillful ways to playfully, because this dream world is a little more playful than a solid fixed separate world, playfully encourage each other to uh, at least question whether it could be like a dream particularly our own self-concerns. And I think, I hope that it's clear that, um, that we can take care of dream beings as long as we're in the dream in all possible ways, in addition to helping people become lucid. Sometimes dreamers don't wanna hear about lucid dreaming if they're really hungry or um, oppressed or something, right? So, so first, we um, find out these skillful ways to, to help um, relieve suffering in more conventional ways. And the, then the dreamers are a little more satisfied, but they're not totally satisfied. And that's where the Buddhists say, yeah, because it still seems like you're over there and I'm over here. I'm over here and you're over there. That's like always going to be a little bit dissatisfying. So you have further uh, teachings like all Buddhas and all Zen ancestors are expressing something about a dream, hopefully skillfully, within a dream. So uh, this dream can go on and on and will go on and on. I kind of have the feeling this is the kind of dream. Um, I don't feel like I'm gonna wake up from this dream anytime soon. Uh, so I, I vowed to become more and more uh, lucid within it, lucidly within it. And uh, these particular expressions by dreams within this ongoing dream uh, can now, come to an end and uh, we can descend from Maitreya's palace and um, wash our face and have a bowl of tea if you'd like. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive Please help us to continue to realize 
and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.